Hello and welcome to Rocket. I am Brianna Wu enjoying a very bee-free day here in Boston. There's no swarm of bees attacking my house today. I'm joined today by Christina Warren. Christina, you're in Seattle. Are you being attacked by a swarm of bees today? Are you doing well? I'm doing fine. I mean, look, Seattle's uh, pretty chill with the whole like lack of insects thing, I have to say. <laughs> I'm kind of loving it. Um, I haven't seen a, a, a bee yet, so I am bee-free. Um, Simone de Rochefort, who is not with us today, her, her building yesterday, her office building, was overtaken with bees. Fortunately, I think she was in Los Angeles at E3 or was in an editing bay editing stuff for E3. So I don't think she was impacted, but I definitely felt for her. Uh, allegedly at E3. Come allegedly. On, you know she's behind this. Like, <laughs> you know, oh, my God. Way, yeah. I don't in know some way, oh, my God. You're so right. Simone did this. Simone did yeah. it. Simone did it. And there's going to be just some fanfic later of Simone. <laughs> Simone of the bees. And a demon that shows up. Uh, so we are, because, uh, like you said, Simone is in editing bay, uh, we're joined this week by someone I had the pleasure of actually getting a chance to meet at uh, WWDC this week. We are joined by Ishmael. Ish, is so great to see you here on Rocket. Thank you for coming in. I am so happy to be here. Super excited. So- so what is your official title? What should we what should we call you? Are you just the the app god? Like what would be mm-hmm. the right title? <laughs> I'm just ish. Um it's just ish, okay. Just ish. I just love ish. It. I'm an indie developer. Um yeah. and in doing that and making my own apps, I have wear all these different hats, but yeah, not really in that title that much. So just ish. Love it. I love it. I love it. So uh, before we get started in the show today, you know, Christina, I need a sit rep. I need to know how your move to Seattle is going. Do you miss New York? I what do. was it like not being at WWDC? Like, how are you holding together? It's hard, man. It's hard. Uh, not being in journalism is hard. Although this week, some sad news hit a bunch of publications. So, um, you know, media is, is a tough business right now. Um, my, my heart goes out to anybody affected, you know, by the, the layoffs that at time, vocative Huff Post, um, and uh, I think there was one more. Um, it's crappy. It's it's a crappy time. Um, yeah, no, you know, like I said last week, it was really weird watching WWDC, like, and not even the whole presentation. I didn't even see the whole keynote live. Not only not in person, but like in a monitor, like a, a few, you know, <laughs> a few hundred miles away in another place. It was, it's, it's weird. Um, but no, the move is, the move is going well. We're still in corporate housing. Um, we, we were moving to Capitol Hill, uh, in about a month, uh, about five weeks, I guess. And, uh, so we're excited about that. I'm still kind of getting settled into the new job and trying to figure out everything that I'm, I'm doing and, and whatnot, but, um, it's starting to come together. So it's good. So I have a confession to make. Yes. After I recorded the show last week, I was out at a bunch of WWDC parties. And, you know, obviously there are a lot of people that live in Seattle there. And I would constantly, like, I would be talking to people and they'd be like, yeah, I live in Capitol Hill in Seattle. And I'd be like, you've got to talk to Christina Warren. Like, she's <laughs> your neighbor now. You've got to go party with her. So Hell if you're yeah. running into people and they're just randomly inviting them along, I'm responsible for that. And I just want to apologize. No. Oh, I love it because I need friends. I need friends. So anybody who listens to the show um, or, or, or follows Brie or follows Ish or, or follows me, if you're in the Seattle area, I'm, I want friends. I'm trying to meet people. So reach out. 
I'm nice. Um, I promise. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're very friendly. I was surprised how friendly you were when I met you for the first time. Um, so before, and I guess before we get started today, uh, we're not going to have a lot of Apple news to cover this Ew. week. So Ish, you had a chance to play with, uh, it was the 10.4 inch iPad. Is that correct? And you had some first impressions you were talking about. So can you just tell us about that before we start? Sure. So it's 10 and a half inch iPad. Um, I've been rocking the 12.9. For the last like year and a half or so and i was kind of hoping i'd fall in love with the 10 and a half because the 12.9 is a little heavy but it seems a little it's an amazing device like the um screen refresh is super duper uh noticeable and using the pencil on it is just it's almost like magic like it's it's amazing if you imagine just using a really really nice pen where the ink just flows onto the paper um oh. it's super awesome so the feel of it is really, really great. Screen, unbelievable. But the size of it, it just feels a little cramped, especially with iOS 11 on the horizon and mm -hmm. all of the multitasking and dragging and dropping, multi-hand, multi-finger, multi-everything, drag-drop. Um, it just seemed a little cramped to me. But I think multi-finger nice. needs to be our title uh, this week. But no, if you, <laughs> let's do it. If, if you listen to the talk show, uh, you know, John Gruber's talk show, you know, uh, part of what they were talking about there is how the development of this iPad, like they brought out Mac Pros and hooked up demos to it to really get that 60 frame a second uh, fluidity. So it's really what it's cracked up to be because I read that and I'm like, I don't believe it. Hmm. Honestly, yeah. So I was actually at the talk show, like watching them and watching Craig kind of demonstrate how he just like flick their fingers back and forth on the screen quickly. And lo and behold, uh, when I uh, picked up the 10 and a half inch, that's exactly what I did. It's really hard to describe, honestly. The motion, it feels otherworldly when you're using it. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely something special. And especially the pencil. So, so right now, before it was 60 frames a second, right? So right. the target was always to get 60 frames. Now it's 120 frames a second um, at the most optimal. And if you use the pencil, it's at 240. That's amazing. Um, and the latency from putting the pencil down to the screen, 20 milliseconds. It's um, just like blazing, blazing, blazing fast and all things. I love it. I love it. I don't know, Christina, are you into it? Are you going to get this? What are you thinking? I'm going to have to wait. I'm going to have to wait. I mean, look, yeah. I, it sounds great. And I know once I see it in person, I haven't had a chance to get to an Apple store yet, but I'm going to, I'm hoping to do that this weekend. We went to Portland for the weekend to kind of see the Pacific Northwest. And that was more important than going to look at electronics. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I mean, I, I, I got an iPad Pro 9.7 a little over a year ago, like as soon as that came out. And I'll be honest, I don't. I have the Apple Pencil. I don't use it at all. And and I mostly use my iPad Pro as much as I love it. And I think it's a great machine. I mostly use it the same way I use my iPad Air, which is to say mostly for consumption. And and um, so for me, I don't think that there's – is as great as it looks. For me personally, I don't think there's enough of a reason for me to say, well, I should spend $700, $800 on this. Uh, that's just not where I am right now. I'm not a developer. Um, I, I, I'm not writing about um, Apple anymore. Um, and so – I can wait, um, and and uh, and also I'd rather put the money towards my my, my fancy pants iMac that I'm going to be oh, getting. I can't wait to hear what that's like. Yeah, I'm right there. So so um, so for me, I don't need it. Although I I love what they're doing. I mean, I, I part of me it, it's interesting. So at work now, I use a service book, and oh. I haven't used the pen a lot, but I have used a little bit in OneNote because OneNote's 
actually really good. Um, yeah. and, and, and that's not just like the employee in me saying that's like actually like a, a skeptic being like, Oh, actually this is a, a good app. And, uh, um, and the, the handwriting recognition is, is really solid. And I have noticed that the surface pen is a little bit more responsive than the Apple pencil. Not much. Like oh. it's one of those things you kind of can't tell, but it is a little more responsive. But I think from what I've read is they basically gotten the Apple pencil, I think is, is now it's either one millisecond faster or one millisecond slower than the surface pen. So they're basically parody now. And that's really impressive. Uh, that they that they were able to not just raise the refresh rate but get the um get the latency down even further and and I think that um that's I mean I I can't wait to see what it looks like and I'm sure it'll make me go oh I want this but John Gruber wrote something interesting in kind of his assessments of the of the new iPad where he said that you know um a lot of people had said that uh, you know have kind of compared it to to Retina once you see it you can't go back and he commented that with True Tone he'd wanted that to see them bring it to the iPhone but it's complicated bringing true tone to the iphone because you need more sensors and stuff and that adds bulk but um assuming that the the gpu can be fast enough and whatnot i don't think there's any reason to think we might not see um pure motion on um that's what it's called right pure motion i think so pro motion pro motion sorry sorry yeah that we might not see pro motion um on um that's a bad name um, uh, it, I'm sorry, but it is because when you say it out it loud, it's just, it just, it sounds like a different word. Um, it but, sounds like it's from sports or something, you know, it just doesn't, yeah. yeah promotion. And know. also it sounds like promotional. Like I, it, I, anyway, I digress, but yeah. like, but yeah. you know, but we might see it on, on the next iPhone and that excites me very much because if I would love to see the faster refresh rate on the next iPhone. And frankly, I mean, I think at this point, right, like, especially since somebody found uh, hidden in within the iOS 11 beta, the drag and drop technically works on the iPhone. You know what? The iPad mini is dead. Just go ahead and bring pencil support of the freaking iPhone. Just do it. Just do it. Just bring pencils. Just bring pencil support of the iPhone and, and bring the high faster refresh rate and bring drag and drop. Just do it. This week's episode of Rocket is brought to you by A, Microsoft changing all their Skype setting, which is going to lead to the incorrect audio that y'all are going to hear for today's episode. But uh, because Simone is at E3 this week, we have another guest to bring our second sponsor this week. Micah Sargent, you are stepping into Simone's shoes. Do you think you can do it? You know, I'm always happy to make it weird when I can. <laughs> you think so? Do you think? Okay, so I know you're going to give it your best. Let's see you try to live up to a Simone de Rochefort ad read. Give it your all. I, I believe will, in you. I will give it my everything. <laughs> so guess what? This episode of Rocket is brought to you by our friends at Blue Apron, the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. See, Blue Apron Woo! sets the highest quality standards for their community of over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. For less than $10 per meal, yeah, less than $10 per meal, which is like going to McDonald's and ordering a meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with fresh, high-quality ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals in 40 minutes or less. Here's the thing. It comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card, and all of the ingredients are pre-portioned. So you just follow along. You can check things off on that beautiful card, and everything's easy to like drop in. You, you basically just like, oh, I need this much garlic? Okay, it's already ready for me. 
I, yeah. I love that about it. So shipping the exact amount of each ingredient required is obviously reducing food waste. And their freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient in your delivery arrives ready to cook or they're going to make it right. I had no brown, weird asparagus in my box. It was all fresh. It was all bright green or whatever color it was supposed to be. I'm, I'm like so enamored of Blue Apron. You can I choose, love it. right, right. You can choose from a variety of new recipes each week, or you can let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. See, they've got some of these upcoming recipes warm smoked trout and asparagus salad with fingerling potatoes and garlic croutons. Oh. I don't know what fingerling potatoes are, but they sound weird and awesome. Oh, man. You can also get peach honey glazed chicken with mashed sweet potatoes, collard greens, and Thai basil. And let me tell you, collard greens, one of my favorite all-time foods in the entire planet. And I can't wait to try this one. So Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. And they genuinely do do that. They deliver to 99% of the continental U.S. And you don't have a weekly commitment. So you only get deliveries when you want them. It's not like you have to have one every week and pay for it every week. If you want to skip a week, you totally can. So here's what you're going to do. Everybody who wants to try out Blue Apron and the Fingerling Potatoes and the Collard Greens. You're going to check out this week's menu and get three free meals with your first purchase with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash rocket. You are going to love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So seriously, do not wait. Go to blueapron.com slash rocket. Right, Bree? Do it right now. Do it right now. Do it. Like, literally, do stop it. the show. Do go do it. Don't Sign stop up. the show. Don't stop the show. <laughs> go, yeah, give it a go. Go, go afterward. Uh, yeah, and of yeah. course, we thank Blue Apron for all of your support of Rocket and hey, also of Relay FM. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. I, I want to throw away a little bit of our next topic because I have to know this for you, Christina Warren. Yes. Um, this is very important to me. So I've got the MacBook One, the MacBook Adorable, whatever you want to call it. Yes. I love it. It's been used with an inch of its life. I've used this thing so much that the battery only holds two thirds of a charge. That's how many cycles <laughs> I've run on yeah. it. But if you're rocking a Surface Book, now is yes. this the one with the detachable tablet uh, in the hinge and all of that? Yes, it is. Give me the straight dope. Is this worth the money? Because I have, I I have walked into the Microsoft store and I have had lust in my technology heart for that machine. I, so much. Okay. So what do you think about? I think it? it's Tell fantastic. Honestly, honestly yeah. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Honestly, I think it's great. Um, I I I had an issue with mine and I had to use a different laptop for about a week and a half and it was like not the same. Um, my, my work productivity experience was not the same. I think it's really good. Now, I will say I think that for your use cases, especially if you're looking at replacing a MacBook One with it, um, the new Surface um, uh, Pro might be a better option um, because it's slimmer and lighter. Um, it, you're not going to like the keyboard as much, but but it is it is better. But I have to say, like, it's really good. And what I like about it is that if you get it with the the performance base or or with the uh, the i7 which has the 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 dedicated GPU regardless like it actually becomes a really powerful machine um yeah. and and I haven't really done the detachment thing that much I mean more than just kind of a parlor trick uh you know to be in meetings be like oh I'm going to write on my surface uh <laughs> you know it, it, and and then they just kind of stare at me and they're like oh yeah you're clearly very new to windows because you're you're enthralled with this and i'm like well yes i am um and but but no i mean i think it's a really solid machine um and and i the, what's nice about it i think is that they they actually interestingly they chose the same aspect ratio that the new ipad has that three two ratio uh which i think is really good 
actually, um, I think is a really good ratio for for a screen. So I really like the Surface Book. I think it's great. Uh, I do think if you, it's going to be a lot. I mean, that is a much more apples to apples comparison with a MacBook Pro. Uh, I think if you're looking for something, you know, small, portable, ultra lightweight like the MacBook, I would be more interested. Even though it had, I don't like the keyboard as much. Um, although I haven't tried it on the, on the new Surface uh, Pro, what would be the Surface Pro Five, but they're not calling it that. They're just calling it the Surface Pro. I would look. I would look at that, um, and it's interesting. I see people, you know, around the campus all the time. You know, so many services, and and uh, people really use the hell out of them. And it's it's funny because before this, the only person I ever saw use a Surface was Lance Ulanoff at Mashable, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and and Lance is famous for always going to every Apple event, including like one on one interviews with his damn Surface Book, which is funny. <laughs> um, like he'll be like sitting with an executive and he'll have a Surface Book out and they'll yell at him and be like, "Why do you have that out?" Um, and he's like, because this is my laptop. Uh, and I appreciate- got Trollum. It's got Trollum. That's a very light. Uh, well, I mean, it is, uh, well, oh I, mean I, I, I appreciate it the same way I would go to Microsoft events with Apple products, you know. Uh, and, and the fact that – so I, I appreciate the, the honesty there. But, yeah, no, it's – um. It's good. I have to say, like, I've been very impressed with the hardware on that Surface Book. Um, like, compl- I, I really am. All right, good to know. So we're going to roll into our first topic this week. Yeah, we are going to talk about E3 first, but yeah. I'm thinking, you know, a topic, I something I heard from Rocket fans all last week at WWDC is they like it when we go deep into technical topics, like not just looking at the news, but like giving them the full, you know, Christina Warren, like deep analysis of things. So yeah, let's, uh, let's go right over to it. So you know, what we want to talk about this week is, uh, is Part of my campaign, I've been looking a lot at Bitcoin lately, and specifically blockchain technology. Um, and a lot of my research into this started when I was, uh, you know, I was heading out. I'm sitting next to somebody on a plane, and they're working for IBM. And they start telling me all the applications that IBM is investing in with blockchain technology. That's not really cryptocurrency. It's more like, you know, asynchronous uh, financial transaction. Uh, you know, like record keeping. So I guess, uh, you know, Ish, this is obviously open up to you too, but, you know, I kind of want to talk about like, what are, what are all of your impressions of like blockchain? Where do you see cryptocurrency going? And then, you know, I want to kind of move into some topics before that, but just like as an overview for you, Christina, where do you see blockchain technology? What do you think of it? I think it's really interesting. I think the potential of, of blockchain is really interesting. Um, and, and everybody keeps writing, you know, like you said, IBM is investing a lot in it. A lot of other companies are investing a lot in it. Um, that's honestly my first concern, right? My, my, my real concern with blockchain is, is to have in non-cryptocurrency uh, instances and in non-currency instances um, – and I, I think the, the the power of the computing structure could be really powerful, and it could do some really interesting things. And some distributed models could be at a high level, like really, really um, interesting. Especially when you talk about, I guess, like uh, quantum mechanics, I guess, uh, and quantum computing. Like, I think there there could be some unlocked potential there. Uh, that goes above my head, but just from things I've read, like that seems like it could make sense. What concerns me. And I hate to be like a Debbie Downer, but what always concerns me is when I see the VCs investing, I see, you know, the venture arms of, of IBM investing, and I see all the, the, the talk about how it's going to change the world before I see any proof of concepts or even 
um, use cases that are more than just buzzwords. And so for the last few years, the VC, parts of the VC community have been really, really gung-ho on blockchain and, and have really been talking about why it's the next big thing, especially with big data. And I don't doubt that. Like I, from, from what little I do know about like big data stuff, like I think that they're probably right. It probably is, you know, kind of the next step to really be able to do massive amounts of computing and, and, and handle massive amounts of data. Um, it probably is the right thing. But I always get concerned when I see investors following buzzwords rather than following products or following ideas. And that's where I kind of am with it right now, where IBM, I think, um, you know, gives it some credence and some credibility that some of the other investors haven't. But I look at guys like Tim Draper from from Draper, whatever his his, his uh, venture firm is. Like his son is like huge into in, into Bitcoin into blockchain. Tim Draper, you may remember, uh, is, was the very first um, investor in Theranos, and yeah. be, because Elizabeth Holmes was his <laughs> was his daughter's best friend, oh. and he you know runs this scammy university called Draper U, where people pay twenty thousand dollars to go through a faux incubator so they can pitch. Some some VCs ideas on their startup like a kind of a boot camp. But I I think I I I look at him and I'm like if he's involved in this I don't know how like and maybe he's making a good bet maybe he's not but like I look at that and I'm like okay this is the sort of people who right now are kind of involved in this and that always gives me the queasies but with IBM and other people there I think there's options and like you'd shared you know this article from um, from March from the Harvard Business Review where a bunch of very very smart people start talking about you know, uh, the blockchain and kind of comparing, saying that it'll do to the financial system what the internet did to media. Now, that's obviously a very provocative That's title. a very grandiose claim. Yes. I'll believe that one. See, it, it precisely. has a lot of interesting but, but thoughts. It, it does. Yeah. And, and so I, I read things like that. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, I, th- I think especially in big data analysis and, 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 and again, like I was saying, quantum computing, like, maybe this is the maybe this is the thing that unlocks it. Um, I, I don't know. It's just it, to me, Everybody keeps talking about all the use cases for blockchain beyond cryptocurrency, and I haven't really seen any that 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 are are, are looking interesting to me that that aren't in like the the, the huge big data kind of you know like you know a space right, Remy. Fair, fair so enough. I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll come to my opinion about that, but Ish, I want to give you a second to jump in here. I mean, what are your thoughts on blockchain? What are your thoughts on cryptocurrency? Like, like what what's your assessment? So to be honest, I'm not knowledgeable. Um, not super knowledgeable <laughs> on it. Um, it, it seems interesting, but more like theoretical hobby, interesting, like, oh, that could be fun. Maybe I I don't know that it's role changing yet. Um, I guess I'm going to kind of sit back and see. It just seems, oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I guess for me, something that really piqued my interest in this and, you know, I'm about to get political, I'm sorry, but you know, the Republicans this week are looking at repealing Dodd-Frank, uh, which is, You know, basically after the 2008 financial crash, uh, you know, Eric Holder, we're going to talk about later in the show, uh, declined to prosecute anybody involved uh, at Lehman Brothers. And instead, what we got was Dodd-Frank, which was uh, basically some regulations on the financial industry that would stop them from selling debt 10 times to each other and creating these unsafe financial products. And I say that not to get political, but to say, um, to me, I I see this and like the last financial crisis, mm-hmm. like nearly took down the worldwide global economy. So when I see steps being taken to recreate that same disaster, what I start thinking about is when people involved in cryptocurrency you know, start writing my campaign and asking to talk to me about that, it makes me go, 
okay, well, I can see a role for someone who is interested in a decentralized currency to diversify their assets there. That's something that makes sense to me. Like not that the United States you know, government would do business in, in cryptocurrency, but I can see like mainstreaming uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum through, you know, like making it easier to transfer money and raising limits and, you know, looking at our reporting requirements. But like what I wanted to go to, and Christina, I'd love your opinion on this, sure. is something I've been looking at a lot lately is uh, our voting machine technology. Mm -hmm. Because I have to tell you, the more you get into what happened with Diebold voting machines, which are, you know, it's it's owned by one political party, and then they've changed uh, names 10 times, and their machines don't undergo public, uh, you know, code audit. It's all proprietary code, and they'll hand it over to an analysis person that will write a report, but we don't know if it's safe. We don't know if the binary that it's running is the same one that's tested. There's just so much that we don't know about this. So I um, kind of wrote something this week talking about how I thought like we could potentially do online voting by doing uh, blockchain technology. I mean, I actually, that sounds like a really smart idea because as we've seen with all kinds of, again, we're, we don't want to get political, but I mean, there are a lot of, of, of problems with current voting software and with with the current yeah. systems, and I think that you're right when it comes to kind of authentic, uh, authenticating that things happen and having um, a record that would be very difficult to tamper with. I think that's actually a great idea. Uh, I yeah. think that would be really smart. I, I I would worry, I guess, like high level. It's like okay, that's an interesting problem to solve and an interesting like engineering thing. To, like let's create a voting system based on the blockchain and and voting software. Uh, there, there are then a million, you know, steps from from that to actually getting yeah. those rolled out into actual, you know, uh, you know, communities and whatnot, and 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 ultimately that that's the real struggle, right? Is 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 getting this sort of stuff mainstreamed, and I think that to me is, I guess that's where my kind of like ish, kind of my ambivalence comes into play yeah. because. Everybody seems really hot on it, and everybody seems to want to kind of say acknowledge it's the next big thing, but. People have been talking about how you know Bitcoin's going to take off and 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 for a long time and, it and, has, and it, yes. well it Ooh. has well well okay it has an Ethereum is is doing even better in some cases you know in terms of its rise I'm not claiming the people who speculate on the currency haven't made a ton of money what I'm talking about which is very different from the price of what the coin is worth is how mainstream is it used and so if you look at something you know you, we, we've seen these kind of crashes and falls before and it keeps going higher and higher and that's great. But again, it's like, are you expecting people – you have two types of, of, of users of Bitcoin, or really three. You have people who are speculating and, and buying and trading the currency simply to try to, you know, like day trade, right? You have people who are presumably investing some of their own money in it and then keeping it offside to, to make microtransactions. And then you have, you know, people who might just be uh, – you know, playing around just to play around. And that second group of people, the people who are actually using it as as a way to to convert one form of currency into another and kind of make microtransactions into other stuff, that still hasn't become, I mean, Coinbase is easy to use, but the number of places that take Bitcoin and the ease of use in, into accepting it is still, there's still such um, a barrier to entry to even getting set up with a wallet and going through all that process. And, and do you know if you can trust this, you know, exchange versus this one and this, you know, wallet versus that one that I, that I worry it's like there's this at, there's, there's still not this. There hasn't been like, look, once we have like Venmo for Bitcoin, then I'm there. But, and, you know, but like until we have that sort of experience, I don't know. 
at least from the cryptocurrency side, aside from people who've made a ton of money speculating well on it, I don't know, like, I don't ever, nobody, I, I'm friends with mostly geeks, and I don't really know many people who have Bitcoin or who make purchases in Bitcoin. You know what I mean? Like, I think well, my I think friend- the problem is it's so hard to spend right now. And part of that is the purchase limits. I mean, where, I have Bitcoins, where can I spend them? Right. I can spend them, like, on Newegg. I That's can buy, like, a, like, a certificate on Amazon and then use my gift card to buy things on Amazon. Like, it's a pain in the butt. Right. But I think that's where more mainstreaming it through the legislature process would have a role. It's worth saying in other countries, like uh, they have worked with Ethereum and, uh, you know, it's been their way of like bringing uh, their currency online. And I I can see it having uh, validity like that. I, I want to circle around to another point you made, Christina, about the novelty. And there's a story, we'll link to this in the show notes this week, about another like cryptocurrency of the week. And this one's called Potcoin. Mm-hmm. And it's for people that want to buy pot. Great. I'm all for legalized pot. More I live in Washington you. State, baby. Yeah, great. Awesome. But, you know, they sent Dennis Rodman on a trip to North Korea, sponsored by these people, to, like, hype awareness for it. And you look into it, and, like, if there's a pot coin enthusiast out there that knows something I don't, please write the show and I will retract it. But I researched it. I can't see any valid use for this whatsoever, like over Bitcoin. I just, I don't see it. And I do think, Chrissy, it runs that that risk of the novelty and being a stable currency. Right. No, I mean, that's the thing. Although you could have made the same argument about Ethereum. I mean, that is different because there were some politics involved with, you know, the, the, the Bitcoins and consortium and all that sort of stuff. I guess that's – and that becomes a kind of an interesting thing, I guess, in blockchain's favor is that there are all these politics involved with, with the cryptocurrency angle right now. There's like a, a ton of people fighting for control over stuff and yet all the mining is happening in China and it's a whole mess, right? It's, it's drama central and like if you ever really – can't sleep at night seriously go look into bitcoin drama like read the reddits and read like the 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 the, 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 the bit the Bitcoin forum um, stuff, like it's it's really interesting. It's a whole other world. Um, I haven't been immersed in it in, in a few years, but every now and then I get like sucked back in. I'm like, oh man, this is good. But <laughs> but like I think that that to to you know to kind of saying that is that if you were able to take that that technology and use it in ways that aren't all about people trying to create you know rogue currencies to and 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 you know publicize things and make things you know. Uh, maybe amount to money, but, but do different types of computing and different types of stuff. And I think it's interesting. Yeah. I, I guess one thing, one last thing I'll say on this, I do think uh, like Bitcoin has its problems, like with the 51% attack, but I, I have faith it's going to be around for you know 50 years from now. With things like Ethereum, I do feel like some of the argument about diversification of assets falls out of play when the same entities that are kind of, you know, making our um, centralized currency so unstable, like JP Morgan has a huge Mm -hmm. stake in Ethereum. Of course they do. And to me, it removes some of the point of cryptocurrency if the same huge, like, you know, financial interests that are basically buying our current, you know, financial system. 
Well, you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. But unfortunately, they were some of the very first people to get heavily invested. I mean, they were they were they they were like right on it. And and that I think that's a broader like that's that's a more esoteric discussion. I think about you know cryptocurrency and 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 how good is it really if the same people like you said are really involved. Um, I I feel like a lot of it is like with Bitcoin, especially and Ethereum too, is is like this illusion of having more control over your money. But it's like if all you're doing is using Coinbase anyway, really, how different is Coinbase than a bank? Except a bank is at least you know backed in something by the FDIC where Coinbase isn't, you know, like there are, you know, tons and tons and tons of people lost massive money when Mt. Gox went insolvent. And, and there have been many other instances of that, too. So I don't know. I always get like hesitant with these things because I'm like, all right, I know plenty of people are, are making a lot of money on it and happy for them, like happy for them. But I'm also like, yeah, you know, a lot of people make money day trading um, and a lot yeah. of people and a lot mm-hmm. of people lose their shirts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ish, did you have anything to add to that before we move on? Um, just from your discussion about it, I was kind of thinking that some of the issues with currency are really the people <laughs> involved versus the the low tech situation with currency. So getting yeah. a high tech solution for currency doesn't necessarily fix the problem if you have the same people involved because it's really more of a um a people issue than a technology yeah. issue. Yeah, it's a human nature issue. I think that's really well said. Um, All right. So, well, I guess this will be the point where Simone will jump in and add her ad, but we'll figure that out later. Um, Okay. So, great. Our um, So, next topic today is going to be E3. Uh, You know, I I don't want to get really deep into it because we're not a gaming show, but I want to talk uh, touch on a couple of the the really uh, big news to come out of it. So obviously, I think the biggest news to come out of E3 is the brand new Xbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called, being called the Xbox One X. Uh, you know, this is a, a very ambitious um, you know Xbox to come out of Microsoft. They've lowered the cost of the last model down to two hundred freaking dollars, and this one is coming out at five hundred dollars. So, you know, they're claiming that it's the most powerful, uh, you know, basically console in the market. They've got, you know, um, HDR, uh, you know, HDR, what is it? High HDR. resolution. Yeah, HDR lighting on it. It looks gorgeous. This is a bold uh, product coming out of Microsoft. So I guess, Christine, I wanted to start with you. Like, what are your impressions of this? Do you think it's going to be a successful bet? Do you think it's important? Like, how do you feel? I about mean, I it? think it's really interesting. I think it's it's obviously incredibly powerful. You know, they kept talking about the teraflops and how powerful this is. And if you look at it, like for five hundred dollars for a lot of people, it's it's much. You would have to spend well over a thousand dollars to build an equivalent gaming PC. Um, uh, you know, I think that, that it, it's, uh, it's very powerful, especially the fact that it's saying it can run, you know, 4k at 60 frames a second and, and really do amazing lighting stuff and be super fast. That's all really exciting to me. Um, I, I have an Xbox one S, uh, and, uh, I have it hooked up to my 4k TV and it's a great, you know, uh, 4k DVD player. And, and, um, and that's basically all the 4k is really kind of good for, um, I, um, because my TV isn't that expensive and, and even though it does have HDR, and I love the TV, but it's it's on the smaller side too. I do wonder. I'm like, okay, am I am I really going to see the huge, you know, like graphical leaps, you know, playing a game like Forza or something in in 4K? 
that said, I think it's important that that someone, whether it's Microsoft or Sony, because uh, we can't expect Nintendo to care, um, <laughs> to try to push things forward in this way. And and I think that for for console gaming, it's really interesting. What's notable to me, I guess, and and you know, like again, disclosure: I work at Microsoft, but I don't know anything about any of the products, uh, and and I certainly didn't know anything about any of the Xbox stuff. And so I was kind of as an outsider was sort of expecting. VR to be part of the the presentation, and it's not. And in fact, they kind of, you know, in, in interviews with people said, oh, okay, you know, they're kind of focusing on the mixed reality experiences with Windows 10 and, and HoloLens. And, and that makes sense, I guess. But it seems to me like there was a lot of kind of, uh, um, I guess, presumptions, presuppositions before the announcement that maybe they would have finally a fully wireless VR headset or something. And And certainly if you look at how powerful it is, I, I I don't know. I, I again I don't know anything, but it seems like it would be it would be odd to totally not address, you know, VR in the living room at least with, with your console. Um so who knows, maybe we'll see something down the line eventually. I have no idea. Um but I, I, th- I want to back you up on that point. Like I looked at the specs, there's no reason this shouldn't be able to run Oculus. So I think you're dead on. Yeah, yeah, that. totally. And so to to me it just comes down to okay, what headset do they want to promote? What you know, what yeah. what, what what do they want to move forward? Um but I mean I think that that from like a pure like hardware nerd in me, like geek perspective, this thing is awesome. Like I want one. And and again, I'm not a hardcore gamer at all and and I don't really have a reason to have one and I'm very happy with my Xbox One S. Um but I just from a pure like power perspective, I'm like, oh man, that's hot. Like I want it. Um, well, I think if you got a 4K TV, there's a great argument for it. Oh, so, I, I agree with you. And I think yeah, the price, yeah. you know, at $500 even though that's expensive, again, like that's less expensive than building your own gaming machine. And if you are upgrading your own, um, you know, I, I think it's 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 if you have an if you have a one S, it's probably not you know you're and you have a four K TV unless you're a really dedicated gamer, you're probably not going to do it. But if you had the original Xbox One and you weren't happy with that and you didn't like some of its limitations and you upgraded your TV in the the three years since that's been out or whatever, uh, I think that it looks really good. And and I think that you know I mean this is this is uh, you know Xbox basically being like okay. Everybody said we weren't powerful enough. We'll show you. Um, the the big question the big question is, and I'd love to get you guys' thoughts on this. Um, is you know, are they going to have the games? And are they going to have the kind of the developer support? Um, I think they will get there. But you know, I mean, you know, Sony has has really been killing it on the gaming front, and Nintendo, obviously, that's that's what they're really known for. So yeah, I, yeah, I was really surprised when The Verge came out this week critiquing their lack of exclusives. But I'll I'll say that for for my comments, I ish, I wanted to get to you. Like, what are are you a big gamer? Like, are you excited for this at all? <laughs> You know what? I'm not. I always appreciate oh. because I don't know. I love the um, storytelling and experience, but I have horrible, horrible hand-eye coordination. I suck at every game. Hmm. Um, so I usually take the things like uh, Breath of the Wild, which don't it doesn't take yeah. that much hand-eye coordination. You just oh, kinda, it's so good. Have it's fun. So it good. is. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. But um, Microsoft, one thing, I think the name is um, interesting and not good. Um, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I was I was kind of joking on Twitter about that. Um, if Apple and Microsoft had a naming contest, they might both lose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nintendo and Microsoft, like you know, we've got the 3ds, the 2ds, the new 3ds, and now the two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The new, the They're on the iPad line. Oh, the iPad line is is just, yeah, it's equally <laughs> right. like. Oh. We just keep naming things like that. But no, I think that the technology seems really cool, but I don't know where it's headed. 
Mike, I don't, I was expecting, um, just considering like all that horsepower, like yeah. you mentioned doing, uh, VR and there doesn't seem to be a real focus on that. So it's yeah. like, it's a lot of horsepower, but then what, what are you going to do with it? I think that's fair. I mean, my my opinion on this is if I had a 4K TV, this would be the very first thing I would buy for it. Mm -hmm. I think um, they've solved a really interesting computing problem this time around. uh, And that is just speaking very generally abstractly, like the difference in a 4K TV coming from 1080 by 1920 that requires four times more graphical power, just roughly speaking. So how do you push that many pixels in a generation that's really supporting both of these formats uh, at the same time? Because you can't expect everyone to go out and buy a brand new TV. Right. I think this thing that they've done of splitting the difference just really comes in at a very convenient time mm-hmm. of game development when engine scaling is so um, it's so much better than it's ever been. Christina, you mentioned Forza. Yeah. This game is a freaking marvel of graphics. And I will boot up Forza and go into, uh, you know, Forza Vista mode. And like, you can pick out a 1968 Jaguar D-type. Oh, I know. It's amazing. My husband loves yeah, it. It's amazing. So I think this is a really good way to split that difference, right? So we saw um, stories coming out of like showing Minecraft with like HDR lighting and like, you know, uh, fluid dynamic effects on water and programmable shaders for water. And I think it's a, it's a really great way to split the difference i don't think however this is going to be a product that people rush out to buy i think the 200 dollars xbox is going to be the one that really matters for microsoft's bottom line because i think most people you know you really can't tell that much sitting you know far away from the tv unless right. you have a big tv so i'm 100 percent for this uh, but I think it's like it's more of a, a, a half step into the future rather than something you should go throw out your current Xbox One for. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I do think that, like you said, though, if you're I think they're coming at this at probably the right time where three years ago um, was it three? It was three years ago when the Xbox One came out, right? Yeah. About that. Yeah, yeah. OK, so two and a half. It'll be three years. But by the time it's released, you know, um, People were complaining about the lack of 4K, but 4K adoption was non-existent. And and now it's it's at this point it's if you're buying a new TV, you might as well just get a 4K TV, um, even if it's less expensive. We still don't have broadcasting in 4K and that kind of thing, but but it's getting there. And so I think this is probably a good time where people are looking at okay, well I'm getting a new television. And maybe I'm going to be looking at getting a new console. And so, you know, maybe the the the, the you know day one people are going to be your hardcore gamers. But you can see where in a couple of years, you know, this will be cheaper and 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 more accessible, and even more casual gamers will be able to be like, well, yeah, I've got this TV now. Why wouldn't I want to play these games and and take this to the next level and see all the, the beautiful details and, and and the fast frame rates exactly as as I should. I so I don't know. I I, I think it's exciting. I'm I, I definitely want one. But I want every but, but 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 like like my friend Ray says I want everything. So yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. See if you get that uh, employee discount. Maybe <laughs> I'll hit you up next yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. May, maybe for sure. All right, all right. So uh, well, I don't want to go super deep into E three news today, but I do want to touch on a couple more things. Uh, you know, Heavy Rain is a really special game to me personally because it was pretty much what I based all of Revolution sixty on for my studio. Uh, it's it was 
kind of a breakthrough narrative game where no matter what happened, the story just kept going. So there wasn't pass fail gameplay. Like if your character died, the story just rewrote itself. So your character was dead and kept going uh, in a very cinematically uh, portrayed game. Uh, the kind of next game of that to come out was Beyond Two Souls. And as much as I love Quantic Dreams games, uh, I think that game was not a good game. <laughs> like I love the na- the narrative stuff, but the the next Quantic Dreams game, kind of written by David Cage, is here, um, and I'm really excited about this. It's uh, so the title of it is Detroit Beyond Human, and it's uh, basically a story of an android revelation. Um, so we didn't get to see much gameplay in the trailer, so we can hope it kind of builds on the the broken gameplay from Beyond Two Souls. Uh, but it's it's very much like a, a violent revolution game. And are you peaceful or do you like destroy everything in your path? So that's a game I'm really excited for. Uh, did either of you guys get to see the trailer at all for them? Yeah, I did. it, and, and I agree with you. It looks great. Yeah. I think uh, it'll be a question if the uh, if the gameplay itself can live up to that. Uh, I guess the other like last piece of news to come out is uh, you know the creator of the Mass Effect trilogy. Uh, you know he went away, Casey Hudson, for a long time. He started a new Bioware studio, and we kind of got the first look at the uh, the trailer for that, which is Anthem. All right, cool. That's uh, that's kind of enough for E3 today. Um, I guess the very last topic today we wanted to talk about was Uber. Yeah. So, oh, all right. So before, before we get into this, guys, I want to say we try not to cover news like this on the show. Like we kill stories all the time, but this is, this is one we felt we needed to do. So, um, you know, so, uh, Eric Holder came forward, uh, this week. He was who Uber put in charge to put their, uh, sexual harassment investigation together. And it's kind of been a week of, uh, Uber being in the news constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week they had 20 employees that were fired, uh, because of this, uh, over the weekend, uh, Mike Isaac of the New York times wrote a pretty blockbuster story, talk about how Uber CEO was looking about taking a leave of absence. Uh, we found out that that happened. Uh, and uh, the the Uber board had an all hands on deck meeting, and, and also uh, also in addition to, to uh, uh, Travis taking a leave of absence, Emil Michael, who had been the, the head of business development, and basically by most accounts was was Travis's right hand man, he resigned, and it's not clear if he resigned in lieu of being fired or if he was asked to resign. But it was that came out of the, over the weekend. There was like some arguments between like. Uh, Kara Swisher's reporting and, and Mike Isaac's reporting, some other reporting about whether he was going to resign or not, but he ultimately ended up resigning. This is the guy who you may recall um, was the one who uh, had, had had said that he uh, joked, not joked, but had hypothesized with Ben Smith of BuzzFeed about spending the million dollars of opposition research uh, to investigate a female reporter who'd written critically about Uber um, at a dinner meeting uh, in, uh, I guess it was like 2015, I want to say, um, might have been 2014. This is so this is two and a half years ago, uh, is when we first learned about Emil Michael and, and kind of his dirty play at, at Uber. He's finally out. But most people had kind of seen him as Teflon. Uh, in addition, um, there was an all-hands-on-deck board meeting uh, to address the culture of sexism and the changes because of it. A, um, one of the people on Uber's board, uh, who is a, a very long-term investor, uh, made a stunningly sexist joke interrupting Ariana Huffington. Uh, and he apologized and then 
resigned or was let go from the board. It's not Mm -hmm. really clear. Uh, And on top of all of that, we got Eric Holder's report, which had a list of things to to that Uber needs to change. So before we get into that report, I guess Ish, I want to hear from you starting off. Like, wow. what is your thought about the parade day Uber? Like the 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 circus, the circus. What do you think about it? Uber is like just crumbling before our eyes. It's um, it's. I think it's interesting. I think it's. I think one of the most interesting things is that a year and a half ago. Whenever someone had like an app pitch, they would always say, I don't have the idea that's the Uber of this, the Uber of that. <laughs> that has gone completely silent. No one's being the Uber of anything these days. And I'm hoping that it's uh, kind of like um, a moral lesson in like ethics, kind of like what happens when you when you play dirty. Um, man, it is just like it's a train wreck. But not even like a slow one. It's kind of like a rapid train wreck. Like <laughs> it's um, almost like information overload. How many things are going wrong in Uber? At the same time, I'm wondering with all this change, all this turnover, all these folks leaving, and um, they grabbed Boz from Apple, which yep. I was really shocked. Oh, you know, I was very shocked. Apple, yeah, yeah. Go to Uber. I'm like, this is a sinking ship. What are you doing? Um, but yeah, maybe what not. are your thoughts on that? What were your thoughts on that? There has to be something happening. There has to be some thing that we don't see maybe all the change is really just kind of um uber's hoping to rise like a phoenix basically get rid of all the old and just kind of be reborn with uh like a new mentality a new mindset because there's an awful lot of uh a lot of carnage yeah my thought on my thought on her i mean and it's so interesting i mean i would i never want to question anybody's decision to to join one company after another i've certainly made you know uh uh, (laughs) employment decisions i mean i I joined i once joined a company that was in the middle of bankruptcy okay so like sometimes the offer is just really good sometimes the challenge is really good i i would hope that she would see something too that maybe maybe we can't see from the outside um that that would be like you think the best case thing but i think also i mean look maybe it's just really um an interesting an interesting challenge to and to have that the title and have that opportunity to to grow a brand and be what is she the chief brand officer to really kind of own something um that has that has to be compelling um you know regardless of 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 uh of all the the troubles that uber has they're ubiquitous uh they're they're valued at 70 billion dollars now that doesn't mean that the, the, that'll last forever of course right but like you know uh, all, all this, this uh, very prescient, like this very constant stream of negative attention hasn't changed the fact that like their closest competitor in in you know in the United States anyway is worth a tenth or is valued at a tenth of what they are. Like yeah, so mm-hmm. I I do have to say, and you know, I would be really clear. I would never I I support any woman's choice to do whatever she wants in her career. And I'm not going to talk smack about her. Just end of story, and that goes double for a woman of color. So absolutely, I think if she wants to join Uber, like uh, there's absolutely. more power to her. But there is also a phenomenon of uh, you know we don't just have the glass ceiling mm-hmm. uh, with the glass cliff. The glass cliff is a um, it's a it's a phenomenon when a ship is sinking. Uh, that is often when women are given positions of power. If you yeah. think about Marissa Marissa uh, Mayer mm-hmm. in Yahoo this week, which finally uh, we better do to it. Uh, you know that is a really good example of it. Uh, you know Susan over Joystick. That is another good example of it. So um, I. You know, I'm sure it's got some challenges for her, but I just, I, I, I can't help but be reminded of that. Um, so yeah, um, 
I, I guess the other thing I would say about this is, to me, I think this really speaks in Uber's uh, favor. You know, here on Rocky before, I have given a few critiques of Ariana Huffington. And, you know, I was openly very skeptical if she was the right person to have this kind of uh, transformation at Uber. But at least from the outside, I mean, you've We've got to give them credit, right? Like they are, they are doing what they got to do, or at least it seems that way. I mean, I think that's fair, and I don't want to be overly critical, but I also don't want to damn them with faint praise. I also don't want to give them more credit simply because they aren't messing up as badly as we expected. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I feel, I feel like we we have to be careful. We we don't want to judge too harshly, but we also have to be careful where we don't under critique just because they did what's expected of them to do like 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 case like case in point you know you're mentioning the board member who had to resign that was really problematic to me and i was glad he resigned that and that to me was a great sign that it happened so quickly my friend jp Mang- uh Mangadalen at uh at, at yahoo finance was actually the reporter who obtained the audio from that all hands and and that was how the story was able to go viral and so props to jp for that i'm very proud of him because that's the uh, that that is kind of an example of why reporting matters because that's the sort of anecdote that it was mentioned kind of offhandedly in his yahoo story and then other people picked up on it and then it became a separate story for a lot of publications but without that audio there you wouldn't have been able to hear that the context no actually this wasn't taken out of context he actually interrupted his fellow board member a woman who was talking about the importance of adding another woman to the board and interrupted her to make a joke about well having more women on the board just means that they will have more talking and and you know there was no way to interpret that any way other than the the manner in which it was done, which is gross. And it's, it's gross, period. It's especially gross when you're the company you're on the board of is facing a humongous public relations disaster. It's having an all hands where the head of a you know HR instructed employees to hug one another when they got there. You know where it's it's clearly a tumultuous time. Like it doesn't help. So I'm I, I'm glad that that he left so quickly. Whether he was forced out or, or saw, you know, the, the light himself or whatever, um, and and I think that the Holder report, um, all of the recommendations they're making seem really good. I guess my only fear is, you know, when you do see a board member making a comment like that, right? Like, does that to me that kind of indicates that these problems are really entrenched, and you have fourteen thousand employees, you have no COO, you have no CTO, you have no CEO right now. You you are are on the mission looking for basically your entire executive team. What what which means that for a long which means that you know you've got a lot of middle managers who are managing stuff and people have got to get do business. But these are all people who've been hired in positions and promoted in positions from a management structure that, as the report kind of points out, has been not great. And so you I I wonder is like how how long can they need to find leadership quickly as I guess my, my reading on this. I think they're making all the right de- they're making the, they're saying the right things, they're doing the right decisions and I'm glad they've taken this seriously, but for a company with that many employees um a lot of the people who fear this the worst are the, are the Susan Fowlers of the world are like kind of the, the the mid-level engineers who are you know who are kind of caught in the cog now that I work in corporate america I can better understand what it's like to work at a really big company and and there's a lot of layers in this and so it it but in in, in Uber's case it seems that it's both top down and bottom up where where you know the rot is and I think it's going to take them a really long time to extricate themselves from it but I wish them luck and I I at least think that um the company seems to be aware of the fact that there is a rot and is is trying to make decisions to to make it better. I just I don't want to give them too much credit for doing the right things just because they've done everything else wrong. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. Ish, you were laughing a minute ago. What What do you think about this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they, yeah. they're they're in a tough. Spot. It's really interesting to become like a, a headless company. Um, and again, because they've gotten rid of so many folks, right? They don't have like an executive team. Basically, there's real a real opportunity here for someone to step in and kind of right the wrongs of Uber. I think it was clear that there's like a cultural issue just deep within the company because these issues are just so pervasive and just occur again and again and again. So as people kind of like the old crew is like leaving, there's a lot of room for um, folks to come in and steer them in the right direction. So I'm hopeful. Like I hope that that's <laughs> happen, but I don't know, given the, um, given the track record, like say in the next two weeks, if I were to bet that something awesome is going to happen or something really scary is going to happen out of Uber, um, my money be on something scary. So, well, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, so I got to get my opinion on this. Of course. What stunned me, Christina, is you know, when Eric Holder's report came out, I expected it to be like deep and interesting and like a really insightful document about what is wrong with uber and i think they just went to like an hr two-page handbook and just xerox yeah, basically and charged uber half a million dollars i'm gonna read some of the stuff in the new york times story okay so okay one of the suggestions is board oversight where they can have an addition of independent board members that will actually be able to hold senior executives accountable. <laughs> they don't already have that. Nope. I don't either. <laughs> okay, how about this? Have a human resources system and some training. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, they I desperately need this. this. Yeah. They don't even track employee data. They don't track complaints. They don't have a basic database to find out, like, oh, has this person been, like, complained against by every woman in the company? There's no place to go look that up. There's no leaders mandatory leadership training for executives. There's no human resources training. There's no management training. I'm not, like, sexually harassing the people in your department. There is no complaint process that is official. There is no like uh, like the 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 rewriting of the company's cultural values like that's completely wrong. Like they've got to remove like a a company uh, written statement that's like hyper aggressive and like they've actually got to make diversity and inclusion something that they actually strive for officially. Right. Like, so like I'm reading this and I'm just like. It's not exactly a mystery how this train went off the track. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh, no, totally. Well, what, what, what's so interesting to me is that Uber is literally the poster child for what happens when a company grows super fast, super quick, gets so much money and everybody's giving the money and no one's bothering to kind of give them oversight. And I don't think we've ever – I can't recall anyway. Maybe somebody – listeners like like correct me. But I'm trying to think back through the history of business and I can't think of any time when we've seen a company grow this quickly and with, with this much, you know, like valuation. Um, and so what I think happened, right, you can kind of understand you have inexperienced people at the helm 
And it, it this in a, on, a, on a micro level happens quite a bit with startups where startups grow and they get bigger and then they don't – then all of a sudden you have 30 people and you don't have an HR person and you don't know how to deal and grow those things. And most people, like they take steps back because they're not getting billions of dollars in funding and they don't have these actively growing businesses and all these other things. They can't continue the, the, these growth engines. They have to kind of take a step back and go, okay, well, now we've got to put some processes in place and do some other things. And Uber, it just seemed like kind of put it off. And so like you said, these very basic things that small companies, small, you know, much smaller companies have these systems in place. A company with 14,000 people didn't. And, and I, and I wonder if, if it got more and more difficult, you know, if, if the difficulty in, in putting those systems into place, you know, magnified, you know, maybe by an order of magnitude each time, you know, the, the employer base grew, you know, you can kind of see, like from the outside looking in, it's like they never expected this to grow this quickly. But I think ultimately, like if we really, you know, obviously the the the, the real um, blame goes all the way to the top. But I think you also have to look at the board, which is what they rightly pointed out: the fact that the board didn't have oversight and wasn't it wasn't making any wasn't making any suggestions, wasn't kind of aware or didn't have their their antennas up when they're hearing about okay. You, you don't have databases for this stuff. The fact that, you know, in Susan Fowler's own account, you know, HR was kind of an afterthought. And and, and when you have that many people working at an organization, it just can't be. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, all right. Well, I, I think that kind of closes it out. I guess the, the last thing I would add there is, believe it or not, HR is a real profession. <laughs> and the people that work there have real skills. And it's like you said, Christine, you can't just add this as an afterthought. You know, something I talk about in a lot of my corporate talks is uh, you would talk about the idea of technical debt in engineering, which is if you overlook problems, they become harder and harder to solve. I think there is a diversity debt in technology. And I think like in Uber's case, they have sexism debt from, you know, really forming a culture. It just becomes more and more expensive to fix. Uh, and yeah, like Christine, you were joking with me because like, I, I feel like these are strong steps and compared to the video game industry, they are. Like I can never imagine the video game industry doing any of this. So that's a good point. That's um, a good point. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a low standard. So awesome. Ish, what are you up to this week? What are you doing? I am diving into all the goodness from WWDC. So watching about 50 session videos, Mm -hmm. um, working on some cool future projects for the launch in September. So tell us a little bit more, like what's your area of of specialty? What do you develop? So I usually make um, productivity or utility apps. So I have a few in the store. I have a sticker pack called Stamp Pack, which is really fun. A bunch of um, these like red stamps that have phrases like approved or awesome or coffee V, whatever's like in pop culture and kind of going on like over 400 different stickers you can use. Um, Kind of fun. There's one called Boomerang, which is a translation app. It's kind of neat. So what that does is I kind of got the idea from Jimmy Fallon and The Tonight Show doing um, Google Translate songs, where basically you can put in a phrase, it'll translate to a language, and then translate it back to you um, just so you can check your translation. So it's <laughs> like, useful and kind of hilarious sometimes. And kind oh, of, yeah, that's awesome. Kind of embarrassing. I love it. I love it. Send me a link. We'll, uh, we'll put that in the show notes. So, Christina, are we going to have to kill this segment? Are you allowed to talk about what you're doing week to week anymore? Yeah, I, like, I should be able yeah, to, especially yeah, once I have videos okay. I can share and stuff. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, so, which which will happen um, soon. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still getting adjusted to the new job and uh, the new city and the whole thing. So I don't have anything exciting to share. But, no, we'll, we'll be able to I'll, – I'll have more stuff uh, coming soon. But, uh, no, I'm just – 
I'm kind of enjoying uh, the cold weather. Uh, summer has not come to Seattle yet. It was like oh. here briefly, but it's it's yeah. I know it's so hot everywhere else. It is. It was 90 degrees in Boston this week. Thank you, Christina. I appreciate yeah, you know, it's, it's like 62 right now. Um, oh. So so uh, you know, summer has not come to Seattle yet. But yeah, no, I'm still look. I I, I look, this is like this is technically week four, but I'm I'll reach my 30 day mark like next week. Uh, like next show, so it's it's weird for me that I, I've been here almost a month, which is which is crazy. That's so weird. Oh my god, I I just still feel your absence from this coast. It's like Obi Wan when like Alderaan got blown up. That's kind of how I feel here uh, in Boston. So this week I am uh, tomorrow. I'm giving a not tomorrow Friday. I'm giving a um, I'm giving a, a commencement address at a high school. Woo-hoo. I've never been asked to do this before. I was such a bad student. It's very <laughs> weird to me every time I get invited to do this. Uh, I'm also doing Emerge uh, Massachusetts this weekend. Emerge is a um, it is a uh, training program for women candidates, and uh, something I'm really interested in being able to do is to get plugged into all the uh, fundraising channels here in Boston, so we're going to be doing that. But the really big news is uh, tomorrow I'm going to be shooting a blatant political attack ad on my opponent, Stephen Lynch. There are 200 uh, Democratic senators, uh, sorry, representatives that came out today uh, participating in a lawsuit about Trump's violation of the Emoluments Clause. Uh, And what this is, is like him going down to Mar-a-Lago and uh, using that to line his family's pocket which is non-constitutional. My opponent is not participating in this for God knows what reason, probably because he's not very critical of Trump. So, uh, yeah, we are going to film that attack ad. That's going to be fun. Writing your own attack ad is awesome. (laughs) Sounds like a great exercise, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it's great because you get to look right at the camera and be angry. Like, it's fantastic. (laughs) You have great lighting. So, um, awesome. Ish, where can people find you online? I am just about always on Twitter at iShabazz, I-S-H-A-B-A-Z-Z. All right. That's a very informative Twitter. So everyone on uh, Rocket should go follow you immediately. Christina, where can people find you? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Snapchats. Uh, the Snapchat has been kind of boring lately, but I'm trying to make it exciting. If, 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 you, <laughs> if you followed me uh, over the weekend, you would have seen my trip to Portland. And uh, 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 I, I've been trying to kind of switch it up between Instagram stories and Snapchat, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, it's, it's hard to do both. It really is. And I'm, I'm an old. I don't know. I, 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 I I, I want to be better at Snapchat. We'll see. But yeah, film underscore girl. You'll power through. I'm I'll sure you got it. Uh, you'll, you can find me on the Twitter machine at Space Cat Gal. Uh, as always, if you like Rocket, you can rate and review the show. Guys, we have – Christina, I can't even tell you how awesome it was to meet how many people love our show. That's I so felt great. Like I felt like a rock star this week at WWDC because I would walk into a party and like I'd just be surrounded by rocket listeners. It was it was really, really awesome. So it's, you know, like every week, I don't know how you feel, Christina, but I'm just talking into a mic and it's like yep. meeting the people that like our show. It was it was very touching. So yeah, No, that's definitely awesome. That. And it's great to have people like Ish who like listen to our show like on and I, I Ish, I saw a podcast, a video from a podcast you were on, I guess, with the uh, with Mac. W- w- was it was it a Mac Observer? No, who was it with? 
I think it was Mac Voices. Mac Voices, yeah. And you were wearing yeah. a rocket shirt. And I was like, oh my yeah. god! I was oh. like, I need to Venmo ish money for a drink awesome. because like that's I, awesome. Two drinks. Two drinks. We yes, we should do it. Yeah, that's your fee for being on. So awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. And this episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated. Terminated.